Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to Table Manners. I'm Jessie Ware and I'm here with my mother. Hi. <laughs> Charm offensive. Hello. How are you, Mum? I'm not too bad. What's been going on? Tell me about your life. Darling, you know about my I bad do. back. I know about oh, your I bad back. I an MRI scan with ABBA in my ears for 40 minutes. What was worse, the MRI the or the ABBA? ABBA. <laughs> it was horrendous with the banging and ABBA but in the background. I remember Chikikita. Chikatita, you yeah. and I know. Oh my God. Bang, 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 bang <laughs> from the MRI scan. When I had my wisdom teeth done, I don't know if it's like the extra kind of American service, but they gave me a whole selection that I could choose. You could choose like, you know, Chopin, Sade, Barb Streisand. So who did you choose? I, I went for Barb Streisand and I actually regretted it. Not it was like enough. <laughs> you wanted it's to It's a night of and I was like, oh, hearing the drip. Yeah, it was horrendous. Anyway, but actually, Sade Paradise didn't really cut it either because you could just feel this drilling into your teeth. Anyway, we have a very impressive woman. A feminist. More than just a feminist. A political, feminist, equality, supporter of Comedian, women. Comedian, writer, writer. Broadcaster. Everything. Her podcast has 60 million downloads. Crikey, how many have we got, darling? Not that many, Mark. Okay. <laughs> Not even near. Okay, darling. So, Deborah Francis White, you may have heard, um, is the host and creator of the incredibly successful and brilliant Guilty Feminist podcast. She has had a really interesting upbringing, which I can't wait to talk to her about. Um, they've had incredible... Um, I mean, there's some incredibly famous fans of the show. I listened to a brilliant one with Emma Thompson and Mindy Kaling. Um, I listened to that Gemma as Gemma well. Arterton. Dolly Alderton's been on it. She was also had, like, a TED Talk on stage fright and charisma. She oh, basically well, she might everything. give you some advice. Yeah, right. What are you saying? About stage fright. Um, or charisma. Well, maybe she'll give yeah. you some advice on charisma. No, right? darling, I don't need that. Should we talk about the book shoot last week? Well, do people know we've got a book coming out? I don't know. That we've started shooting I, the, the all the recipes. So. The good news is all, all the, the recipes, recipes work. work. The other good news is we started taking the photos, so it's getting nearer and nearer to production. And the sad news is if we is we have to reshoot the gefilte fish because I gefilte oh, fish gate uh, gefilte fish gate it has been called because I said it was okay to serve the crane in a jar. And what did you say? Gaga wouldn't have served it like that. It's actually really upsetting. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. Meet Lenny Ware, yep. a.k.a. Yep. Chris Jenner. No, I'm not like Chris Jenner, okay. but I, treasured recipes have to be served properly. Oh, we haven't spoken since we did UNICEF's soccer aid. Oh, that was fun. It was fun. Yeah. It was particularly fun watching you get your makeup done by a YSL makeup artist. Fabulous. Um, he got my... What I, did you ask for? I just wanted the individual lashes. No, you just wanted to look like RuPaul's Drag Race, you said. I said, I don't like natural, natural. look. I prefer a drag queen look. Yeah. And he knew what to do. <laughs> <laughs> so tonight on the menu, we have a pescatarian in the house. Right. So what have you but made? She says she follows grandma's rules, which is I being very presume polite. that she's basically she would have eaten rare roast beef if if we'd given it to her. Um, Mum is pointing to the table, the linen um, napkins that she's bought me because she's sick of the fact Wiping that we're my hand. Are we in season six or five. Five or six. And we're and still wiping our hands with our mouth with my our fingers, hands. Yeah. yeah. So tonight, it's a really hot day. It's Friday and we are having a spring vegetable, a spring summer vegetable kind of... Broth. Broth. But that it's, it, it's with white wine and parmesan and lemon zest and loads of herbs like chives and tarragon. Who gave you... Did you make Clara, it up? No, of course I didn't. Clara Paul, my Thank gorgeous God. friend who is a chef, was just like, this is so easy and lovely and I've been making it so much. I wished we'd put it in the... Oh, hello. And so you have that and dip with loads of nice sourdough bread. And then I bought from Finn and Flounder. It's a lovely... Um, fishmongers on Broadway Market because I'm trying to do a little bit of a maternity leave so what I do I walk around aimlessly with my son trying to get him to sleep in a pram but I went to Finn and Flounder and they looked gorgeous the crab and lobster um, cakes and we're going to serve it with samphire and then for pudding you thought of this a passion fruit eaten mess yeah with raspberries raspberries and I passion we, fruit and I want to put toasted mm. coconut in too you can but also not just all cream, cream and yoghurt. Cream which, and Greek yoghurt. Yeah. Yeah. Which makes it Feels just a bit lighter. Fresher, yeah. yeah. So um, we're doing that. And um, we are so excited to have Deborah Francis White coming up on Table Manners. Cheers. 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 Thank you so much to, for being here. And thank to, you. Um, to feminism. To feminism. To feminism. Uh, are you sick about talking about feminism? No. 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 It, well, we still need it. While we still need it, I feel like we need it more every day. Oh God, we're going so backwards. Well, yeah, right. Yeah. We're polarising. So we, we are making huge strides. And at the same time, it, it was what always happens. The patriarchy strikes back. So if you think about 1930s Berlin, what was it like? There was an enormous world that was full of people who were completely owning their sexuality and their, their yeah. whole selves. And, and that's when that force comes and mows that to the ground and says, right. we're not having that. So there's always a response. So the question is, who will win in this battle? Because Trump is a direct response to Obama. Yes. It's a response to, we're not yeah. having this other take over. And by other, we mean anything that doesn't look like the dominant force, the force yeah. that's been in power, oh, the white oh, straight. Sorry, oh, Jesus, that's what he thinks of Trump. Yes, he does. <laughs> can, I, can I have a cuddle? Will he you can, me? but I'm worried he's in sick on your gorgeous dress. Oh. Hi, darling. Hello. Oh, 
This is my husband's son. Hello. Yeah. Oh, what a sweet boy you are. Oh. Are you happy? Yes. Yeah, look, you Hello. love the ladies. Oh, yes. Oh, he'll have that necklace Ooh. off your neck. Oh, wow, he's having a chat with you. Yeah. 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 He's, he saying, he's saying, teach me. <laughs> yeah, so, well, I agree with you that I think that the patriarchy is currently uh, in, in a battle um, with contemporary intersectional feminism. But do you think we will win? Yeah. He, yeah, just, yeah, he just nodded. Yeah. He, he nodded and smiled. Nodded. Yeah. We will win. Yes. Okay. And so you're on our side, yeah? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's nice to hear. I love when he talks. Well, I mean, that's a complicated issue and uh, it requires nuance. It's something that a lot of feminists debate about, but I think, you know, your take on it is is certainly valid. And I think one one could argue, one could argue that way and you and you have argued that way. So that's 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 great. I mean, there are some important issues at the moment in terms of intersectionality, being trans-inclusive. That's very important. What do you think about that? Yeah, no, it's a, a lot of people don't want to say much about it because they're frightened to say the wrong thing. The microphone's live and, and you, feel, you feel concerned you're going to say the wrong thing. But you don't need to. We can all talk about it. Just, you know, we just need to remember everyone else's humanity is important and identity is important yeah <laughs> i mean you are he's looking at you with such adoration and it's actually kind of caressing your face as I know, you I know. and your boob actually this sorry is, about this that is, this is the real love island <laughs> yeah, right, yeah it is what it is it is what it is oh, he really likes deborah yeah. yeah, you felt you've been inspired. Yeah, my friends used to call me the baby whisperer because I was only able to get their baby that no one could stop crying. I could get really? their baby to stop crying. Yeah, I think I have got a good rapport with babies. Oh yeah, I mean he's, he's in love. Mm. Um, it's weird to me that I will never have a baby because I always assumed I would have a baby and I will never have a baby. How do you know you won't now? Um, I tried with the IVFers and the IUIers and it didn't work. And then we got to this point with it where I think. We had to wait for a procedure or to find out about something. It was one of those tests. And both of us were secretly hoping that they were going to say, you can't do it. Well, well, I think we just got to the end of it. You've gone through too much. You, you get pumped so full of hormones. Well, I did anyway. Yeah, I don't want to generalise everyone's experience. Mm. But my experience of IUI and IVF was the amount of injections and suppositories and things that you have to... It's something in every orifice every day. And one time I got so depressed that honestly I felt this isn't... I'm so depressed. I'm verging into a very dark place where I absolutely should not be having getting pregnant. And I went to the clinic and said, I think I should call this off because I shouldn't have a baby because I am a deeply depressed person. But and I've never been a depressed hormones, person. And right, they the said, no, do you know what they said? Oh, hold on a minute. Are you taking the X injection with the Y suppository? And the, no, it was this, it was the, um, the spray. There was a spray that I had I to do. It was literally like an ear spray or something weird or a mouth spray or something. Are you doing the spray, the spray with this injection? And I went, yeah. And they went, oh yeah, that sometimes does make people feel suicidal. I was like, well, that would have been nice if Thanks. you'd mentioned that, because I thought it was me. They could have explained that. I thought it was <clears> me. I was like, oh, I, I am a, now a depressed person. You know, and you know when you're depressed, you feel like this is the truth, that actually everything is bleak and you are Have you ever been depressed person. before, though? I mean, I've had periods like anyone, I think, of depression, but, but I'm not, I wouldn't define myself by depression at all. No. I'm, I am lucky in as much as I haven't, I think, had... Uh, a lot of mental health issues, uh, but I think all of us, like our physical health, 
we're all much more willing to say, oh, well, actually, I've got this weird elbow from that time I had a car accident or, oh, I was very bronchial as a child and I suffer from asthma. Mm -hmm. And that's not an embarrassing admission. Mm -hmm. Oh, I had an operation or I had my appendix out. But if if you say, oh, you know, twice a year I get so depressed that I have to take days off work, you feel embarrassed about saying, of course, we should not because Mm -hmm. our mental health and our physical health are both on a spectrum. Um, and of course, some conditions, physical conditions are debilitating and some mental conditions are debilitating, much like, yeah, um, on a par. Um, and I had never had a debilitating depression before. I'm generally, very luckily, the kind of person who's happy unless there's something to be sad about. So I think I'm prov- provoked by externals as opposed to, uh, I think, depression, which overcomes people that is an internally caused condition. And like any one I've had downers about my career and, you know, things like that, which have felt very bleak and extended. Um, but I am not a depressed person. And this depression was like nothing I'd ever known. But of course, when you're in that state, you think this is the truth. All this other time, I was in La La Land. I was fantasizing that everything was fine. Now I'm. Now it has been revealed to me what a useless person I am, how everything is terrible. Um, so it's no good someone saying cheer up because you go, I don't want to go back to that place of not knowing the truth. Was that the last time that you tried to try for a baby then? No, that had, I stopped using the combination of drugs and then yeah. I was okay again. But it just, I was just an irritable, anxious, emotional person through that period. And I think I am prone to, uh, my husband would tell you, um, uh, you know, being, responding emotionally to things or responding you know, be, being too busy and being frustrated by things or, you know. Uh, I isn't find, that normal? Well, I think so. I think that's yeah. normal I don't think he, I don't think he thinks so. He's a very even where's it, What's his background? Mm. I mean, because we're Jewish and noisy and, oh, see, I th- and I'm a social worker and mental health is an acceptable mm-hmm. state, I think, mm. with with our family, don't you think? <laughs> I mean, no, I mean, if you it, said yeah, to no. me, I feel depressed, Mum, I'd take it seriously. Mm. Um, well, and it wouldn't be something that you couldn't tell me, or would no, it? No, I, I, no, I, I, no, I, I, no, no. Of course I not. think Tom's just a very. He's. Well, we have a joke. Uh, is he English? That, yes. Did he go to public school? He's then? he's half Jewish actually, but oh, but is not. He? I don't think he feels culturally Jewish. If okay. you see what I mean. Uh, so he, he didn't get the loud not, kind he's of. Not loud uh, enough. No, yeah. but do you know what? I'm about to do 23 in me because I'm adopted, and I found my biological mother yes. and all her side wow. of the family, which was very exciting. But I'm going to do 23 and Me because I can't find anything about my biological father. And I think... Can't I, she tell you? Uh, she's told me what she knows, but you have to then dig. And you have to dig in a way that doesn't make somebody who doesn't know who, who you are uncomfortable and all of that. And I, anyway, I can't find anything out. And so I... I'm going to do 23andMe to see if I can find out anything genetically on that side. And I, you know, I might have a match. 23andMe, is that these genetic genes? Mm. Show you kind of what part Irish you are, like you're oh, 5% Irish. Is that, and is that, is that, am I right? Yes, yes. but also you can find relatives. That's what you were doing when you oh, kept really? asking oh. my date of birth. I thought you were no, trying to do it. No, I was just trying to get oh. my son's passport. No, okay. Yeah. Okay, so 23andMe, you send some spit in a jar or whatever. Yeah. It then looks at your credentials. And if you say, yes, I would be interested in being connected with any family and you've opened that door wow I'd quite like to do it then they can tell you so a friend of mine she um, 
sent it off just hoping to hear she's Jewish and she sent it off hoping to hear that you know she had x y and z in her makeup and just thought it would be interesting mm. or maybe find a second cousin or something but she found out she had all of these half sisters and brothers all over the world and it turns out her father was a sperm donor which she hadn't <gasps> known like that netflix right. um right. right 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 and so and but she she found the ones that were open that a had done 23 and me and b were open to it so there are lots more. So someone might say, oh, well, actually, I've got a brother, but he's not interested in meeting you. That's really interesting. Um, what do you think you are? Well, I Who just, do you think you are? I mean, it's a good question. But I know his surname is Irish, and I feel that that sort of tracks. But I've always thought I was Jewish. I've always thought I was you Jewish. Like, I, 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 I bet you got, anything. We, we could claim you. Definitely, I'm definitely. so excited to do it, because I feel it's going to come up a bit Jewish. you might be disappointed if you're not. Well, you I will could be. Also be find out Greek. You could also yes. be Greek. Yeah. Well, but here's the great thing about being adopted. Before you know anything, wherever you visit in the world, you think, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm probably an Italian princess. I feel it. (laughs) Yes, exactly. I'm probably from an enormous Jewish family. And, you know, you you imagine these things. Where where were you adopted? In Australia? Yes. But, But of course, you when you narrow it down, the answers can only be the answers. Yeah. It can't be everything. It can be one thing. And it can be, and it is what it is, to quote Love Island. (laughs) It is what it is. Um. So, when did you meet your mum? Your biological mother. My birth mother. So, my mum is the woman who raised me, and I'm always yeah. very clear about this. My yeah. mum is the woman who raised yeah. me. Uh, my birth mother, yeah. um, I met her, I contacted her in 2012, and I met her at the beginning of 2013. And do you, you, do you, you keep, keep in touch? touch and... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I see them every time I go over. So, I go to Australia, and she lives in New Zealand with my sisters, and I see them all the time. How does it feel? A couple of times a year. Does it or, f- and then also, my birth mother comes over here because one of my sisters lives in Scotland. Okay. So... I will see my birth mother probably um, once a year when I go there and once a year or once every two years when she comes here. And we always have lovely times. And uh, it's... Was she glad you found her? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I was very lucky like that because some people do get rejected. And I, and I understand there are complicated emotions. Of course, there's, you know, all sorts of things going on. And people respond to... Because uh, there was a whole... Gen- there were generations of women, I should say, where they didn't have any choice... Um, the babies were taken away or the cultural support system wasn't there. The the societal support system wasn't there and culturally it wasn't mm. acceptable to keep your baby. So, and there was no access to a safe legal abortion. But you could find out then why she gave you up for adoption. Mm. Um, because that's really... You were, really you were Im- 10 days old. Yeah, I knew, I always knew why she gave me up. You, you knew from yeah, the yeah. outset. Yeah, because she was... Uh, 20 and my biological father was married to somebody else and he had kids so and I think you know it was a fling and you know that uh it wasn't the right time for her to have a baby Mm. but I think giving a baby away does of course impact the rest of your life Mm. and I think you suppress a lot of them because then there was no counseling then either or there was no access to the story of what had happened to me. So I think what I would always think is, did, is that baby all right? Did that baby survive? Did somebody love that baby? I would yeah. be concerned yeah. all the time. So one reason I wanted to get in touch was to sort of fill in a piece of a puzzle. I wasn't messed up by it or anything like that. But um, I thought I should know it's time. And I didn't want to leave it too late. And then find that she wasn't there anymore, you know. But the other thing was for her that I just thought if I'd given a baby away... I'd want to know. And how has your mum felt about um, it all? She was very supportive when I started to do it. And I, I mean, I try not to talk about her mm-hmm. very much because yeah, she's very enough. private. Yeah. 
Uh, but I will, I will just say my family has been very supportive. Can I ask, because... Can it, I get some more champagne? Yes, me, please. So um, you've talked a lot about um, being a Jehovah's Witness uh, when you were a teenager. Yeah. Was, that, were you, was, was your family, did they bring you up that way? No. Or did you kind of enter into it they became on your Jeho- own? We all became Jehovah's Witnesses when I was... We started studying when I was 14. And then we, I got baptised when I was 16 which is an error, you shouldn't be allowed to be baptised because it's it's a high control group. You shouldn't be allowed to be baptised, I think, until you're 21, really. Because you're not... The, the, the punishment for leaving, even of your own volition, just because you think this isn't for me, right. much less because you've had sex with somebody outside marriage or something, yeah. um, is shunning. So, so your family and everyone will shun you and they just like don't honestly treat you like you're dead. Just, but, you're not there. You're not there. They can't see you. But you weren't shunned by your family. Um, what I did was I uh, faded away, they call it. If okay. you just stop going and you don't formally leave, you don't get disfellowshipped. And so therefore, nobody has to shun you. Now, in reality, the, people's conscience means that they do sort of softly shun you, but they wouldn't have to walk away from you in the street. They'd just be like, oh, hi, this is awkward. And they'd keep walking. Like, right. there's awkwardness when you see people. And some people will shun you. And you wouldn't be allowed to go for... Well, you, you don't celebrate Christmas and things, no. do you? So you wouldn't go for a special day to the church? or no. the you wouldn't want to, no. If you were disfellowshipped, you... You, if you, you, you can't c- walk in again. Oh, yeah, you can, but no one will speak to you. So you okay. have to sit up the back to get reinstated. You can get reinstated. It's not just one, one disfellowshipping and you're out. Okay. You have to sit out the back for probably a year or two with no one speaking to you. Come, You have to come to every single meeting and you have to prove to the elders you're living under Jehovah's standards or whatever. And then um, they'll announce you're reinstated and then people can talk to you again. So, so when, you, when you talk about the baptism and you said you were 16 when you got baptised, which was two years after you had kind of joined. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm so sorry that I kind of, I don't, maybe I, I, but the baptism is a massive thing, obviously, because then it's like what you're in. Then you're official. You're and official. once you're official, you have to abide by those laws, those rules. And if you don't, you're out. So there's a big old threat hanging over your head at all times. And the thing is, oh. the punishment for leaving is shunning, but you're not allowed friends outside of it at all. No social life outside of the witnesses. So you can't... If a colleague said to me... I mean, I say a colleague. Back then, I wasn't allowed to go to university, which I'd planned to do. And um, you went to... Oxford. Oh, I did go to Oxford after I left the witnesses, yeah. Right. Um, but I wasn't allowed to go to university when I got into my top choice at uni. In Australia, it's much more you go to the closest uni in your city. Mm-hmm. It's not like you're desperately trying to get into Oxbridge and then you've got your second choices. It's more like if you're brought up in, brought up in Queensland, you go to the University of Queensland. Um, but I got into that uni to do the course I wanted to do and it's a very good uni. And I was told then on the evening of my baptism, you won't be able to go because well, it, it makes sense. If you go to university, you will learn that everything they're saying is bullshit. Right. So, you Would know. you have been allowed IVF? I think. You, I wonder what I their view remember. is. I think it's changed actually. I think, I think you were. I think you were allowed, and I'm not sure that you now are. I can't remember. But you're discouraged from having children because I know it's very unusual in the religion, isn't it? Well, because because oh, you should be spending on. your time knocking on doors because Armageddon's coming. The end of the world's coming, and you need to knock on doors <sighs> and tell people about Armageddon. You shouldn't be hampered by children. And, when and there's is a Armageddon scripture coming? that says, well, Any time soon. there's been a number of soft right. launches. Uh, uh, God, I feel like Armageddon's coming soon, though, don't I you? I mean, 
I mean, it's I don't. I, I mean, I don't think it's going to be Jehovah God sending lightning out of the sky. That'd be bloody Boris. I mean, sending model buses apparently. Yeah. Model buses? Isn't that ridiculous? He was that extended improvisation. Like yeah, but it was, I think you know it was. Why, he was just. You know what I heard? He did it for. Yeah. Because if you write Boris and bus. You imagine you get, you get the negative, the fifty million promised uh, on the side of the bus. Uh, now you don't. You get Boris and his model making yeah. bus. We're being so manipulated. Okay. Let's talk about Royal Albert Hall. How so, many? You've, you're going to have a ton of guests. It's very exciting. So, but it's going to really work well. So we open with the "I'm a Feminist" Bartz, our classic. Yeah. Uh, so there are sort of admissions. Uh, so a classic of mine is I'm a feminist, but one time I went on a women's rights march and I popped into a department store to use the loo. And when I was in there, I got distracted trying out face cream. And when I came out, the march was gone. <laughs> true story. True story. Uh, true story. Have you, got, have you guys got with one? with Mrs. Thatcher. Uh, with Mrs. Thatcher. Um, I went on a big march because she was Margaret Thatcher Milk Snatcher yeah. from yes, university. Thatcher, milk we were marching along Oxford Street and I just thought... Selfridges is there. Oh, mate. Mother, just... and you talk about bringing Hannah onto the what's it? What, the we green. Talk, we took no. We took a Hannah. We went on. Um, you omitted a Nelson Mandela. I used to go on CND marches. Yeah, but you'd pop to the department. My, my store, saddest so. moment was going to Newham, uh, Green and Comet, oh, Comet yeah. with Hannah and um, and my pregnant friend. And the women shunned us. They didn't like us. They Why? didn't want it because they were part of a really tight community. And I think. It was really... Uh, did you ever go to Green and Common? No, I don't think I'm... That's in my, my era. You're too young. You're probably it's, in Australia as yeah. well. Yeah. Oh, sure. Right, so Green yeah. and Common, you know, they stood no, I know, all around I know the what perimeter, it was, yeah. right? My mother-in-law was there. Right, so it was all kind of... It became almost like Glastonbury, like hippies and people lived their lives there. And when outsiders came along, I think they just saw you... We wanted to show solidarity and they saw us as outsiders. Mm. So... I mean, it's always the way, isn't it, that there are... Of course, tribes in everything. Yeah, there's tribes in everything. I mean, I did. No, but we used to. I used to march for everything. You know, Nelson Mandela. Uh, when one of the someone from South Africa came, we were all out there. CND did every everything. Feminism. Have you got an I'm a feminist part? This has been something that I've really struggled with because I don't think any of mine are good enough. Yeah, we've been trying to I'm a feminist part. Oh my God, I'm a feminist, but I don't think any of my I'm a feminist parts are good enough. That's the greatest I'm a feminist part in the world. It's a meta. Oh man. It's meta. Yeah, I, okay, I'm going to give you a few. Okay, go, go. Firstly, I feel like I need to bring in my friend Samantha's one um, because she... She was so excited that I we were having you on, um, and she says I've. She says every time she listens to you, she has so many that go in her head, and then she can't remember. But she did remember this one, so I feel like I need to put it out there. She says I'm a feminist, but I love the Destiny's Child song "Cater to You." Ah, um, so that's hers. Mine. I'm a feminist, but I am jealous of my daughter's Barbie's thigh gap. <laughs> and I hate myself and I was like that Barbie's got to leave but I think it's because I'm jealous of the is thigh gap is that why you're banning all the Barbies yeah, so it's don't... not because you want, don't want her to grow up with unhealthy I don't want her to grow up with unhealthy things but I, uh, I'm, yeah. I'm being but it's affected really... by it because I'm now upset about the thigh gap that's really funny that's so the, the way to make that I'm a feminist Bart okay, amazing come on. Okay, is come on. I'm a feminist Bart I decided to get rid of all my daughter's Barbies claiming it was because I didn't want her to grow up with an unhealthy role model. But in fact, it was that I was jealous of Barbie's thigh gap. 
That's Thank you. perfect. Thank you, Deborah. Perfect. Mum, what's yours? I see, I'm a feminist, but I like being objectified at 67. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. A whistle makes my day. Mum, you like a cat call? Of course I do. Yeah, I, I'm 60 fucking if, seven. If I, if I get cat called, I am capable of thinking in one clear sentence in my head, that's appalling, still got it. Yeah, um, of course you do. Yeah, I'm like, that's, an, that's, that's really not I, good enough. And you know, one time, this is true. I agree. Uh, this is a real I'm famous, but one time um, a man, um, a feminist part, a man shouted, um, nice tits. And I turned around to say, this is really inappropriate and realised as I did that he was actually shouting at a much younger, hotter woman. <laughs> and then I felt so disappointed. Oh, mate. I felt like, oh, it wasn't for me. And then I was like, why are you thinking that? And then I was like, turn that disappointment into, I'm not rage that that should not be, what are you saying? <laughs> and just like this cat, this terrible rollercoaster of emotions, because of course we're trained to feel that, you know, we, we should be this, you know, this, this uh, attractive. But also, it is human to want to be sexually attractive. Yeah, The human course. race wouldn't have lasted if we didn't want to be sexually attractive. We, the reason we're the stickiest species, and we really are, I mean, we've done this planet so many favours, uh, with our <laughs> absolute ability to survive and thrive at the expense of every other living thing. Uh, but yeah, we wouldn't be such a successful organism on the life on the, on the face of the earth if we weren't quite keen on being hot that's why you should allow your daughter to wear jesse and Mom, sam were very her. very very and quite rightly Mom, wanted their children to wear no to not be gender you know i didn't do gender neutral i just gave her Maybe more trousers than pink dresses, but don't worry. You in brown bought, and you yellow. You made up with all the fucking polyester fucking shit. Pink fucking But parties. she does go on a climbing frame in her Cinderella dress. Well, here's the thing about that. But doesn't that what matters? I think, I think absolutely do as much gender neutral stuff as you can and as, as possible. But gender neutral doesn't mean some weird space that's really actually traditionally masculine. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's yeah. what worries me. No, well, I know. I'm, no, I'm not mom. saying this is what Jessie's doing. I'm saying... Watch what you say, Mum. I'm saying that... No, she's going to be a lioness or whatever it is. No, but I'm saying that, that actually, yeah. you know... Tinkerbell has magical powers. Elsa from Frozen has magical powers. Tinkerbell's a fucking bitch, though, you know. I was watching it the other day. She's an absolute cow to Wendy. This is so Love Island now. <laughs> she, She's so... I have had enough of the way... It is what it is. It is it what is it, what it is, is, Wendy. You're out of it order. It is what it is. And There's no connection. Listen, Hook, I need to see you in the fire pit right now. <laughs> I've got a text from the pan. I've got a text from the pan. Look, all I'm saying is that I watched it and yeah, Tinkerbell actually, like, she isn't shoves her. Yeah, like, and the mermaids us. are horrible to Wendy. And Wendy's just Poor there. Wendy. And Pan's like some little she's weird... She's a bit boring though, Wendy. Wendy is dull. I'm yeah. not going to lie. You would have been there yeah. with Tink and the men. And the, you would have been drowning and her. And the mermaids yeah. being, being yeah. kind. But look... Moana's my favourite. Moana's okay, the best. All right. Let's, Moana let's is look a, at a Moana. goddess, a warrior. Let's look at those... At those. What I'm saying is... If you want to dress like Elsa from Frozen, yeah. that is no less powerful than dressing like Spider-Man. Femme things are not less good. They're not no. less good. 
and 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 we are all in danger of going well my little girl wants to be spider-man so you know she's not we are in danger of doing that thinking that's better but why is masculine better that's all i'd ask so if where the female is submissive yes well I that's agree. my issue that There's understands ones like... but where it's just decorative we need to just re just tell me that okay zone. so unfortunately and i adore the little mermaid but what she does is she gets rid yes. of her legs and loses her voice yeah, no, I to think, meet a man. I think Ariel went I'm sorry, too far. Yeah, Ariel to be went fair, too far. I did that when I was 25, and it's, <laughs> it's it's easily done. It's easily done until you find yourself. This kind of thing you do. Uh, but I think, um, yeah, I think we just need to understand that femme gender expression is is its own power. And so, and, and you you watch something like RuPaul's Drag Race. Yeah, that power is being taken. Yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, it's it's who takes the power? When do we take the power? How do we take the power? And how do we understand that to dress up and to decorate is anthropological the same way that mm. wanting to be fancied is anthropological. It's it's biological. It's it's what makes us human. That's absolutely fine. The problem is not wanting to be hot or enjoying being objectified. The problem is when when we when we decide only a very small band of aesthetics makes you sexually attractive yeah, and I we think. are all brainwashed into thinking the thing that is sexy is thin. The thing that is sexy is is blonde. The thing that is sexy is, you know, a big bum or whatever it is. What you know, that's that's the thing um, of the moment. The thing, um, or the or the the objectification. Mm. That's the problem. The problem is not wanting to be sexy. That is for Which the is crab cake, but I'm very happy for you to try it. No, I'm into. She couldn't but... eat all that on the crab cake. No, no, I know, but I'm just like. Do you have? Do I've dipped the I've dipped the bread into the is it what nice? is the sauce for the crab cake. Oh. And Don't you up. like it? Mm, I thought it was a dip. Well, no, sorry, oh, right. I, it's because I'm trying to. Tis a dip. It can be whatever. I have got I've got hummus though. Here we go. Some bloody I don't need anything. I thought that's what no, I was going to do. No, she likes that, darling. I'm a bit drunk now. You Brilliant. Me? Good. Because we've got rosé as well. I was going to say you've given me too much champagne, but I actually brought it, so I really cannot blame you. I, lo- I love starting the night with champagne. Okay, it looks deceptive, this glass, because it's shallow. It's one of those madmen champagne glasses which is flat and open so you think oh it's not as much as in a flute there's barely anything in there it's very shallow you think yeah but you drink it really fast and if you have enough of it listeners this is what i'm telling you and this is a public service announcement if you have three glasses of champagne no matter the shape of the glass you're going to start to feel a bit funny Mm. do you have time to cook with all the um i do have I have i don't have skill to cook um, you have time but not skill well I don't have time or skill but I used to have skill but I used to have time but no skill and now I've got no time nor skill um, who my cooks husband in your house is a your very yeah, very okay. good cook and we live with Steve who's Syrian who came to live with us and he's a Syrian refugee and that makes him sound like he's displaced now and he's not he lives with us and he's started this amazing jewellery business and he can cook no he makes amazing hummus but he doesn't cook either he makes himself sort of noodles and you know, pasta with cheese and things. So I'm always trying to get him to eat properly. So that means I can encourage Tom to cook more. And also I, my delivery skills are incredible. Uh, well, that's, yeah. Like incredible. Like don't... What's I, your go-to delivery? Okay, gym food. So gym food... Oh my food God, I've tried them in Absolutely the incredible. So it's... When you want high protein, yeah, low carb... Um, exactly. Thing. It's really... Well, when you want anything, because it's got all the different combinations. So especially if I'm exercising... 
Then you go to gym food and it's like really... Cause I, gym food has in G-Y-M. It's the worst name. It's the worst name. G-Y-M. Like, gym food. I try and... Yeah, gym food. Like so, so it's like if you're going to the gym and then you want, you know, to sustain that because you're... You want high protein, low carbs yeah. or you want this or that. Um, but they bring you the best sort of salmon with vegetables and sweet potato and it's really good. It's delicious. And I order big boxes of chicken and vegetables off that for Steve. I, I'm pescatarian, but um, Steve is Steve is not. He likes chicken. And I try. I think we should all be more plant-based. But at the moment, I'm trying to feed Steve up because he's had six years displaced and he hasn't eaten properly. And he's got into a habit. I mean, he's a very well-built man. He's tall and well-built. But I think he just needs to How eat better protein. To Steve? He was came to a podcast um, that I was doing. We are doing a season where we were doing... I don't know any Syrians called Steve. No, his real name's Mustafa. Okay, fine, got it. Um, but he was ju- he was teasingly called Steve in Syria because he was doing like bodybuilding and wrestling and stuff. Right. And one of his friends said, "He, you look just like um, Stone Cold Steve Austin, uh. who is a wrestler." And so everyone called him Steve. And Staff is short for Mustafa, or Steph is short for Mustafa. So St- Steph to Steve wasn't very far. So he was always called Steve in Syria. So when he ended up in the Calais jungle he was called Steve and then he said it's sort of like almost like that was well before there was a war or anything but he said he it's almost like there was some kind of fate telling him you're going to live in England so you need an English name so yeah how, he, old, is, how old is Steve he's just turned 27 he was 25 when he came to us yeah he's a baby boy yeah and he because I think of displacement I think in some ways, I often think, you know, refugees that age, in some ways they're 16 and some ways they're 60 because they've seen far more than hopefully we will ever see. But also you've missed quite crucial things in terms of you've had years of just survival. How did he get to Calais? Uh, he went, did he go via Turkey? Or, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of the, I mean, it's his story to tell, but a lot of the sort of the generally precarious route um, so when he came to us, he was doing Global Pillage because we were doing a season with refugees, but well, they weren't talking about being refugees. They were just coming on podcasts and being regular people who happened to be refugees. Because I think that's important for people to remember. Refugees are just anybody who's displaced. You can be anybody, you can be anything. You can be, you know, if you if you took a thousand people from Britain and put them in boats off the shore of Dover and pushed them out into the ocean because there was a war or climate change or something, you in those boats, you'd have the CEO of a tech company and you'd have yeah. someone who cleans the floors in that same company and you'd have someone who's a librarian suffering from unrequited love and you'd have somebody else who's homeless and you'd have somebody else and that's who refugees are and we forget that we're like oh sad people in boats or scary people in boats depending on which newspaper you read that's what you see it's just one group of people and and i think even liberal people are in danger of projecting all sorts of things onto refugees and I have learned through getting to know refugees that, of course, they're regular people and they're all sorts of people. And, you know, yes, they've all been through trauma, but there's a lot of different life experiences there. And so we thought, well, we'll do these, you know, podcasts and have different people on. So we do a podcast that's called Global Pillage, which is a diversity based comedy panel show, a bit like a QI or something like that. Steve came on and I really liked him. And afterwards I was... How did he find the podcast? Through an app called Timepiece, which at that point was being developed and, you know, they're still looking for funding um, that connects refugees with local people so that you can skill share and time share. And, you know, sort of like you might... 
teach somebody English speaking skills for four hours and then you've got that in the bank. Yeah. And then you could learn, you know, Syrian dancing or, you know, Eritrean cooking or something for four hours. You can get, it's all, it's all banked on time rather than so money. So he's been there for 18 months with you. Do so, you sit down together and eat? Well, we do, but I mean, because our schedules, yeah, our schedules are so poor. It's much, mostly me going, Steve, I've ordered you some gym food. We're going to sit and eat it together. Um, but we need to cook more together. And Steve has just, Steve's very, very, very talented. And um, so he was studying architecture at the University of Damascus. He also has a um, a jewellery company now because he learned to be a, a silversmith in the jungle, in the Calais jungle. And so his jewellery company is called Road from Damascus. Um, but he's also very, he can build everything. He's amazing. So he's just built us a kitchen island um, where if you put it out, you can sit around it and eat. So I think we're going to eat more around the table because our table tends to be co-opted. Our dining room table tends to be co-opted by Tom, my husband, editing podcasts, which you can't really accuse somebody of too much editing of The Guilty Feminist, can you? You can't really no, say, you can't. get off that. Um, so I think we're going to have a kitchen, an eating kitchen now, which is going to be great. So it's a bit of a weird um, thing, but I'm loving making this. So we're having a version, it's kind of like a broth. Amazing. Like a spring vegetable broth. Excited, and then a crab cake on the side. So I'm really sorry that it, it's a bit, it's well, a bit of a funny stop. one, but it does taste. Please okay. stop apologising. Yeah, well, I'm a feminist, but I apologise all the time. Stop apologising for making me an amazing supper. I've already just told you I don't cook, so whatever you've cooked, I'm going to be thrilled by. Um, growing up in Australia, I mean, I've been to Australia. I think the food's amazing there. It is. What was it like in the 80s? Um, nowhere near as good as it is now, but I think there's always been quite a lot of fresh ingredients in Australia because it's a farming mm-hmm. place. And yeah. It's a... Is it all lamb chops? Oh. Be my idea of heaven. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a lot of lamb chops when I was growing up, yeah. Mm. So what was on the dinner table Probably with your family, mm. like the go-to meal that everyone kind of would sit around together? Did you eat together? We did, every night. I think my brother was quite good, like, at sort of making variety and exploring different things. And um, I think a lot of people in Australia at that time were growing meat and two veg. Mm-hmm. And now, and I think my mother was much more like, oh, tacos or... Lasagna and things like that, whereas other people honestly would have a slab of meat on the plate and two veg every single night. So I know now lasagna and tacos are just standard food that anyone would have. But I think then it, she was much more into international food and that kind of thing. So she would have hummus and baba ganoush and things like that that other people wouldn't have had at that time. But I also remember, I remember her great joy in feeding us. That my dad used to take us to the swimming pool or to the beach and we'd come home and she'd say, are you hungry? You must be. And she'd really enjoy, enjoy our hunger. And she'd put out these big Australian lunches, which was all the salads that she'd made, potato salad and all sorts of three bean salad, and lots of different salads mm-hmm. and some meats and things and then breads and things. And then you'd sort of just sit around the table and you'd take whatever you wanted and make your own sandwich or make your own salad and... And I remember that being a fun time and a good time that I remember. I remember her joy in feeding us. And I remember when I got into baking as a kid, um, I learnt to, I couldn't cook, but I could bake. And I, I liked to make cakes. So I would have been a bake-off kid, basically. Right. And then my mother, as I got older, would say, you know, can you help me fill the cake tins? Because again, it was a thing that at lunchtime, there was what at school called little lunch, which was morning break, morning tea, 
And then big lunch. That was what it was always called, little lunch and big lunch. And little lunch. So little lunch was like a snack. Yeah. But little, for little lunch, we'd always have a piece of homemade cake. Um, in my, my, you could bring whatever you wanted. Now it would be yogurt and fruit or something. But yeah. then it was like a piece of homemade cake. Because all the ingredients were fresh and it was homemade. It probably wasn't, it's not like having processed biscuits or something. I remember being excited to see what that was. It could have been a lamington, which is very Australian. What is that? Lamington. So lamington is a square. It's like a cube of cake. But on the, it's dipped in on all four sides. Yeah, like a Rubik's cube. It's dipped in chocolate. And coconut. And then coconut. And sometimes you split it in half and you put jam and cream in the middle. Um, Are you a sweet tooth or mm, savoury? No, I really was. I'm more savoury now. But I remember as a teenager kind of helping my mum with cakes and enjoying that. That wasn't like a chore. It wasn't like, you know, you have to do your jobs. It was more like oh, do you want to come and make one of your chocolate mint cakes? It was more like a fun thing that she would ask me to do to help and I would take pride in. Was this once you were in, do you refer to yourself as a witness? Is that? Yeah, you'd say you were a witness, yeah. So um, from what I understand is... Around that time. Around that time. So were you, you weren't being able to socialise too much or you'd only be allowed to socialise with other witnesses? Mm. It's just sort of... So it's quite an innocent... coming out of what they call the world... You know, there's a sort of process of it. So I still have my school friends. You come out and you end up on the other side. It's more like when I left school, that's when I broke off my associations with my friends. But because you're getting brainwashed as well, your friends are starting to go, what's happening to you? So it's sort of a two-pronged magnetic pull away. Um, but yes, during that time, I was making Lavingtons and uh, learning to bake. I wanted to ask, do you think you've got good table manners? Um, oh, okay. You are asking the inventor of the Table Manners Olympics. If Sorry, I'm... what? Oh, yeah. Table Manners Olympics. So when I was a nanny, yeah. the the first nanny job I had, I was more like a mother's help because the mother was there a lot. Mm-hmm. And so they had good table manners because she was quite strict about that. So the second nanny job I went to, where the parents were very loving, had big jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, so the kids had had a series of Australian nannies who'd only stayed a year. So it was a little bit more Lord of the Flies. Oh, shit. I mean, great, but, you know, much more Rafferty's Rules, much more, as we'd say in Australia, Rafferty's Rules. So it was much more people sitting at the table and grabbing things with their hands and sort of sitting, you know. So I, in an effort to work on their table manners... You super-nannied them. I, well, I instituted something called Table Manners Olympics because I realised they were very competitive. So I would do a running commentary, like a sports commentary, on the table manners as they did it. And how old were these kids? Six, seven, and nine. Right. So I did this running, like a, like a racing track commentary, or and an Olympic he's passing commentary. The and yeah, okay. and like, and she's sitting up very, very straight now, and there's going to be a lot of points for that. But he, <laughs> oh, he has just reached across the table and taken the salt, and he's not asked for it to be passed, and he will lose points. Did they I love mean, it. They loved it and sometimes they would theatrically do things that we knew when were not good table manners in order to get me to commentate on them but ultimately they wanted the prize they wanted what um, was the prize oh i I can't i can't remember i think they got stars on the star chart um um, which years later to be fair they told me because i'm still in very good touch with all of them and i'm still very close to all of them years later they told me that emma Emma's a lawyer now, but she once declared at a sort of family dinner 
that she could get the stars. So the star chart was artificially weighted. And one time, James, the youngest, had come in and caught her stealing the stars. So she said, I'll cut you in if you don't say anything. Oh, my God, I love this So girl. James and Emma had more stars than Danny. And Danny's the middle child. And Danny was just the most easygoing child, as middle child children yeah, often are. are yeah. I'm a middle child as well, mm-hmm. very easygoing. Mm-hmm. And the two youngest and oldest would always be competing. The younger and old, yeah, yeah, the youngest and oldest always be competing for attention and everything and so they always were head in stars and no one could work out why now we know why and I at the time I was genuinely I was genuinely upset I was genuinely horrified I was like how could you do this to me (laughs) and even though we're all grown-ups and uh, Tom thought my husband thought this was so funny that I was upset and I said but you couldn't have got up there I was like that's that was the cupboard was so high you couldn't have got up to where the stars were that's where I kept the snacks and they fell about laughing like we couldn't get the snacks I was like no but the snacks were treats they were incentives I don't understand actually looking back I don't think you should incentivize children with food because it gives them a weird relationship with it but (laughs) it was the late 90s Jesse I think this pudding works now this when I was a little girl Mm. We rarely had people round for dinner, or if we did, I guess we were in bed or something, but it wasn't... My parents weren't terribly social, really. Um, one night, they had friends around for supper and we were allowed to stay up. I think it must have been a work colleague of my father's or something, I don't know, but I remember then... Now, if you're terribly young, what you will not realise is children in the past were very quiet <laughs> when grown-ups were around. Yeah. So I remember sitting there on my best behaviour, not saying anything unless I was spoken to and I wasn't spoken to, just sitting there. And I remember the pudding came out and I thought it was ice cream. I liked ice cream, thought it was vanilla ice cream. Mm. Now, when I bit into it, it was like angels crying on my tongue. This was no regular ice cream. This was a very special spiritual experience. What was it? Now, retrospectively, it was, of course, pavlova. Mm. Oh, pavlova. And angels I remember just tasting it and thinking I had gone to heaven but I couldn't tell anyone because there was grown-ups at the table that I didn't know oh, how frustrating. so I just had to sit there in wonder and awe and I was dressed up I think in a good dress and things and I was sitting there and I remember looking at my mother just like completely wide-eyed I remember her winking at me across the table and smiling and I remember this very special moment of the combination of Pavlova and the affection of my mother and this sort of intimate little moment between us in this grown-up world and so Pavlova's already had always had a special place in my heart and this eaten mess evoked that memory when I bit into it wow yeah it really did thank you Mm. wait till you taste my matzo ball (laughs) (laughs) I remember the past life where I was Jewish I'll probably get inherited memory from a generation or two back you know you you know what Marilyn Monroe says about matzo balls I don't but you I feel is there any other part of the matzo you can eat nice it's good it's really good 
I want to talk about the fact that you, I mean, you know, these these um, stats, mm. 60 million downloads. No, 65. <laughs> <laughs> You're so naughty. I'm a terrible person. I love um, you. But I want to know, so, uh, I mean, it's always live. How many, like, you have a lot of people in your... Mm. Your shows, like your recordings. Oh yeah, 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 we do. We started off with thirty, and next and now, weekend we're playing the Royal Albert Hall, which well, is five thousand. They we are go. looking set to sell out for that, which is exciting. So yeah, we've the biggest we've played so far is two thousand two hundred, I think. Which Where was is, that um, in the Palladium? But yeah, it's on our tour. We played a lot of fifteen hundred seaters. But I mean, because I don't know whether you always envisaged it being this successful. No, how but, can you? No, right. You can't okay. do a podcast in a room below a pub. With 30 people in the audience and go, one day, although on the first episode, you will hear me say, at some, when, we're at the, when we're at the O2, if you were at this first recording, you'll get a free ticket. I did say that. It was a joke. But three and a half years later, we're at the Royal Albert Hall, which That's is pretty amazing. incredible. You will be at the O2 soon. You're still enjoying it. And- oh, yeah. So I think, yeah, it's such a joy. And I think it's partly that we have the live audience, so I feel the connection every mm, time I go mm, in and I feel yeah, that audience's excitement. Yes. Mm. And I think that audience is just electrifying to be there. And a lot of them, have, it's the first time I've ever been to the show. They've listened to 150 episodes on the tube and here they are in the room. And so they give us that energy. And what I love is that it's a microclimate for successful women. Um, that when I say, and now, welcome my co-pilot evening, Jessica Ostergu, they go wild. And they're like, they just give Jess, who is one of the best comedians in this country, if not the world, all of the rock star love. And then Jess rises to that. You know, she's like, yeah, I am a fucking rock star. And she performs like a rummage nuts. She doesn't say that arrogantly, but she, you can see the sort of mm. rise. Or if I say now Susie Bacoma, Susie Bacoma doesn't do stand up in any other context, but she comes out and she surfs that wave. Mm. And I think I know doing stand up in comedy clubs, when they say it's a, the next one's a woman one, but don't worry, she's funny. You come out and you see people in the front row going, oh, I find women funny. And, you know, I've had women say to me, "This what when they play the Guilty Feminist, this is what it must be like to be a man in a comedy club. The assumption mm. is projected upon you that you're going to be magnificent. And then, of course, you rise to that. And, I, and I've had men on who've been brilliant, but I, for a reason. I don't I really have men, but I do, if there's a reason to have them. And I see the audience, even sometimes famous men, I'll see the audience go, all right, you, you, we'll hear you out, white man, but you better have something to say. I must say also all the men we've had on have been brilliant. The audience have loved them and mm. come round to them, mm. but they don't project. Is it, is it a bit pantomime at the beginning? Is it a bit booze? No, and- no, no, no. They're very polite, but I can feel the tension in the same way, just mm. the sort of reservation, the same way that the woman on the end of the panel normally gets. Mm. So the one woman on a panel show will get that sort of, mm, are you going to be any good or have you just been booked to be a woman? That's what the man gets on The Guilty Feminist. They're not starting from plus five. They're starting yeah, right. from minus five. And that's how it is to be a woman everywhere else, almost. Um, I'm, just, I'm just letting everyone know that you may be rivaling Stacey Dooley for the amount of spoons going into the pudding yeah. back in. And I love I'm that. I'm so sorry. No, I what are you talking I about? Shouldn't. This is what we like. This is when we lo- love a guest that goes in. It's the a bit that I just can't stop myself. So, so- It's an eaten mess with passion fruits. Not enough raspberries, apparently, yeah. but, um, and whipped cream and a bit of Greek yogurt, which kind of I think it lifts it. it. Kind of is that it what it is? Yeah, yeah. So it's I kind think of a bit it lifts less it a bit. Doesn't I can't. It? I should not be. She can't stop. One, but I love it. So, it's the meringue, which is like the pavlova. Of you my might not be able dreams. to find it. No, I'll, I have will. you got more? Pavlova? Did you put all the meringue? Yeah, I put them um, all in. If Brexit happens, 
I can't believe you've combined Brexit with the most delicious what will you, pavlova. What will you that. stockpile? Oh, well, this, no. I think we'll be all right with this, to be honest. I mean, will what, we be able to get... I try coconut? not to eat, but I'm, I'm, I'm aware I've got vanilla Haagen-Dazs in the freezer because Tom bought some for a dinner party. And I could really sit down and eat Haagen-Dazs in it. I could eat a whole... You're not the tub. only one. There's a wonderful writer called Samin Nosrat. Do you know her? Mm-hmm. Uh, she's got the book salt fat acid, acid heat mm. and she's, she's got a netflix program and you should yeah you should get her on you should button. get her on your podcast she's, she's the most she's really funny, fabulous woman who's amazing. a major in english at, Berk- at berkeley yeah and she says vanilla haagen is like well she likes no, coffee, coffee ha- haagen but i love haagen yeah just I, I, I it's the amount of sugar in it i don't know it just hits it's something me. about it, it's like a drug yeah i have to not keep it in the house desert island meal starter main pud and drink of choice. Um, you can call it a Last Supper or Desert Island. It's up to you. Um, okay, Desert Island. So put it. So starter. Mm. A trickle of salad. Oh, okay, mozzarella, avocado, tomato, mm-hmm. basil. Is there a place that you've had this that you love? Um, I've had it initially with very very fresh mozzarella and very very fresh tomato. I mean the mozzarella part is not plant based. I accept, um, but it is absolutely delicious. Oh, life's too short to bloody grind up cashew nuts. I know, but, I know, but life is getting considerably shorter because we're not living a plant-based, plant-based life. And but we you're do about to either die or you're stuck for a no, while. No, but so you've like... got two children, we've got to protect the future. So we should all go plant-based and I just want that as my official political statement while I salivate over my trichula salad. Okay. Um, and then for a main, I think black cod, miso cod. Mm. Like there's nothing, there's a, there's a place in Camden that does this incredible oh, black cod. It's the place by Mornington Crescent. Oh, there is a place down there as the well. The Japanese... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. One I was thinking was on Parkway that just did this heavenly, heavenly black cod. Um, and then for the pudding, well, this pudding would have to be up there as one of my now but death maybe, row options. Maybe your mum's pavlova? Yeah, yeah. It, it's definitely in this territory. Okay. It's, it's one of those. But I think your mum's eaten mess is... I think it's quite a good one. Mm. I mean, I could eat the whole bowl. And, but, uh, if you, you can. Cheat, you're lo- looking at it and pop. I just want you to put your spoon back in. No, I mean, come on, there's limits. Uh, but pop... I'll spoil it and I'll feel sick and I feel annoyed with myself that I've eaten too much. But it's got but Greek yogurt in it. Could I? Oh, well, then it's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, could I have on the side some vanilla haagen Yeah. Do you know what they used to make? So they don't make any more. Vanilla haagen with a chocolate, like a chocolate fudge sauce in it that would swirl around. What was it called? I think it was vanilla and chocolate fudge. Oh, and I have ever had that. It was glorious. And my friend Justin Rosenholtz also makes a chocolate fudge sauce and she used to bring the ingredients over from America. She's American. She said you couldn't get the sort of sugar you needed here. Mm-hmm. And that was heavenly, absolutely. But I think they do different haagen in different countries. Because mm. we've not had the coffee back again. It's, a, it's in my bloody happy news agent there, yeah. They Shit, used to I do, in Australia, I, at McDonald's, they'd do an ice cream with a chocolate fudge on the top that was... The hot chocolate sauce, but it's got to be right, and you so often order it, and it isn't. Um, Deborah, thank you so much thank for being you. on this. It's a delight. And we are going to say it again because this, the, your your Royal Albert Hall is um, gig is coming up. Basically, this Sunday it's coming up, and I will give your uh, listeners an exclusive discount. Amazing! Do uh, we have to do like a little code I'm, thing? Yeah, I'm not meant to do this, but I've had three glasses of champagne. So I've got a, se- a secret code that I'm allowed to give people. If you put Guilt Hall into the discount code box on Ticketmaster, you get £10 off a ticket. Wow. That's I'm so not meant to give that out. Ticket. I'm so sorry. I'm just hoping the producers don't listen to this. Uh, <laughs> uh, 
no, this yeah. is so, and it's it's the seventh of July. Yeah, seventh of July, Sunday afternoon, Sunday, three, three to five thirty, and it's going to be incredible. Hannah Gadsby from Nanette is our headliner. She's doing twenty. Um, there's all sorts of incredible famous actors, mm. uh, including Adjo and Susan McComa and uh, Juliet Stevenson. Juliet Stevenson and Jessica Hines doing the reading. Lots Amazing. more. Um, Amelia, the last speech from Amelia by Claire Perkins, which is known as the Burn the Fucking House Down speech, was going to blow the roof off the place. Jess Robinson singing an incredible song, a musical. There's going to be some amazing music. And there's going to be um, some massive stand-up as well from London and Jessica Foster Q, London Hughes and Jessica Foster Q. And I'm going to be on the stage as well. I've just dipped my fingers into that bowl now. I love it. I love it. Um, I'm so I'm so happy. It makes mm. honestly, it makes me so happy. You, Stacey Dooley, and Ed Sheeran. I feel like I've come yeah. back for the most amount of helpings, and that makes me happy. so much Deborah Francis White for joining us on a Friday night um, to entertain entertain us. and educate it's been an absolute pleasure and do try and see her show uh, the biggest guilty feminist show at the Royal Albert Hall this Sunday and I'm going to bed okay me too um, I'm going to drive an hour darling but don't feel a guilty no, feminist about that and I'm not going to feel guilty I'm not actually good night night up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com